Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. I would like to start off with disappointing you. We are going to be in the New Testament today. <clears throat> I know, toughen up. Uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 18 through 27 today. This passage has sparked from spending time with some of the men at our church. Uh, before I begin in, in even explaining that, though, let me just thank Nick so much for filling in for me. Last week, it was Reformation Sunday, really a great day to own the pulpit, um, but why, my wife had vertigo, and things at home were just in utmost chaos. So, Nick, thank you so much for um, manning the pulpit. It's a blessing to be at a church where we can do that. Uh, I've been in different ministry contexts where if the pastor was sick, um, tough. I've preached with strep before. That was, that was interesting, leaning on the Lord in that challenge. It was nice that I could, though, ask Nick. It's really a blessing, um, beloved. Those of you that are members and have been here for a while, you know this. But if you're visiting, our church does not lack in just healthy preaching. I don't mean that we're the most amazing speakers in the world, but we have men that are faithful to God's word and that can communicate it in a way that we understand and that promotes holiness and honors Christ. Uh, and it's, it's just beautiful to do ministry with those of you that, that get back here and, and preach. Really encouraged by that. And there's something about Nick's sermon that just has a Southern Baptist flair that I love. So it was good not only to, to get to rest, but then just hear the flavor that he adds to the pulpit. I love it. I pray that God would just amplify that in him. So we are in 1 John chapter 2. We'll be in verse 18 through 27. The reason why we are here today is several of the men at WCC get together on Friday mornings. We select a book of the Bible, and then we go at it with five very simple questions. And as we were going through 1 John... This passage just, it agitated me, and, and it, just, it kept coming back to my mind, and I remember having previous wrestlings with it. You can go ahead and turn to 27. It's there that we have no need to receive teaching. Um, that just really poked my interest. I've explained it away before, but I want to give that time, and, and I'm thinking, why is John offering this kind of assurance to these children. This entire book is written to provide assurance to these children. They are now at a, an age in which heresies are running rampant. People are trying to pollute the church. Uh, the church is, is not knowing, you know, who do we believe? What worldview, philosophy, ethos do we commit ourselves to? Some of the church will be receiving persecution. Uh, what is going on here? What is going on? So he gives them assurance, and I found it very odd 
why he encourages them that they need no one to teach them. So I teased that out, and then I found out I have to include the context of Antichrist, and I got a little overwhelmed. So today, um, it's going to be a journey today. So let's go ahead and go to verse 18, and I'll read all the way through, and then we'll go verse by verse. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they have been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But if you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Therefore, confess the Son. Uh, sorry, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. So John wants to comfort these believers, and he lets them know that this is the hour. So he grabs their attention. Time is short. Listen to me. The tone, the temperature of the environment has changed. Beginning this passage, however, it begins with this address, children. Children. Yes, John was an elder. Yes, John was elderly. And most likely, he is known as a spiritual father to all of them. So it would be natural for him to have this address to them. And he gives several addresses like this to other individuals. And it's not uncommon for an apostle to refer to the church as a children. However, mentioning children also emphasizes to his readers the relationship they have with God the Father and the Son. This is going to be pivotal for them in their relationship. How do we know we are faithful? How do we know God has not forgotten us? What is our place in all this chaos that is taking place within the church as heresy is rampant and factions and divisions are being raised up. Well, first remember your father. Remember you are his child. 
we should want to be reminded of our familial relationship as well. We should want to remember this with one another. In this, in this church, we are not members of some club. In this church, we are gathered with brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who abide in him. We are brothers and sisters. That means we share life together. That means we encourage one another. That means we remind ourselves of the promises that have been given to us. That means we approach each other in love and in patience, particularly when we, we help one another with sin, or when we help one another in weakness. I want to give a testimony. My, my home would not have survived last week if it wasn't for the love and generosity of our church. Thank you so much for your prayers, for your meals, for the text messages, checking up on Amber. She's been, I think, two plus weeks now with this vertigo. She's doing much better. I've been asked a thousand times, showing you love for your sister of the faith. We are belonging to God and we belong to one another. So this children is not just I'm really old and I love you, but this is also a reminder of the relationship we have now that we have been saved. This should stir up within us right emotions. This should put in us a commitment for one another. I'm going to be a little transparent here, and I don't mean to shame any of you. I sense, I've talked with others also, we are leaving kind of the honeymoon phase of Walton Community Church. We've been here a couple years now. We have our traditions. Things aren't so exciting as they used to be. They're good. I love it here. I, I mean, this is home. I've, I've seen other churches. I've, I've ministered in other places. This is the place where I feel at home. This is where I want my kids to be influenced in the word and encouraged. This is the place where I want to love on people and because I'm loved so well. But, but something's going to become rote, not as exciting. And, and, man, there are things that can just compete with a Sunday morning. There, there are so many things that can compete with just staying connected. We have work. We have family. We have entertainment. We have tradition. And these things, they will pull at us and they will tempt us. And they will entice us. Don't let that happen. Look at your brother. Check and see how I am next week. Hopefully I will be faithful in doing the same for you. We need to comfort one another just like John is going to do so now. So he lets them know it is the last hour. The last hour. Wake up. So what does this mean eschatologically? What does this mean in redemptive history? Where are we placed now? And we can get into a really fun rabbit hole that I am not going to go down. We're going to keep this very general as we talk about Antichrist and as we talk about end times. Hebrews 1 informs us in these last days he, that is God, has spoken to us by his son. Later in chapter 9... The author tells us, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
This means God's testimony, his very word, was delivered vividly to us in Christ's ministry. His life, his preaching, his atonement and death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, all of that perfectly pronounced God's word. This coming of Jesus willfully submitting himself has now inaugurated a last day or a last hour. And it is my belief and many within the church to believe we are still sharing in that last day. We believe at any moment, any moment Christ could return. So John wants them to be ready. It's that last hour. At any moment, Christ could come. So what does he prepare them for? He prepares them for warfare. Child, listen. Children, gather. War is ahead of us. He doesn't say ignore things, think happy thoughts. No, but to be alert. 18, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So this last hour is an hour in which the spirit of the Antichrist will increase itself. So who is this Antichrist? This is a word John uses. This is John's word here, the Antichrist. We see in in verse 18 that there is an Antichrist to come and many Antichrists. We also see in John 2.22, later in our passage, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Jesus also speaks of this in Matthew 24, 5, when speaking of the age. He says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Later he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect." So this age that is brought before us comes with it, one, the forgiveness of our sins through Christ. As he came and dwelt among us, as he placed his life as a sacrifice for us, rose victoriously and ascended to the Father, completing the work set before him, now the enemy is on fire. Now the enemy wants to attack And John seems to be telling us there will be many spirits of this Antichrist until he comes. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us, speaking of these Antichrists. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that that it might become plain that they all are not of us of us. So how do we identify them? How do we identify these antichrists? First and foremost, their name gives away so much 
anti-Christ. That could mean anti-anointing. Jesus, the Christ, is the anointing. So how can we know of these false teachers? They are those that are against. They are anti this anointed son of God. That's first and foremost how we can tell them apart by their name. Young adults, you'll come across people that love spirituality in your age. And they have their different practices. They have their own forms of personal worship. They find enlightenment and fulfillment. What do they do to the biblical Christ? Young adults, your life will be shaken as you have close friends and co-workers who once professed a knowledge of the true anointed one, the true Christ, and yet within time, they will leave. They will distort this Jesus. So very embarrassing example. I think you all know by now, I was in a Christian death metal band for two and a half years. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, and I'm not going to tell you the name of that band ever in my life. Ever. And in that setting, there were many believers, many Christians. And we would get together, we would do our little chugga-chuggas and garages and a different church youth rooms and so forth and different parks. And, and we had cool songs and fun times to hang out. And, and during that time, my faith just had quite the journey. I knew several people in that mix who they were interested in Jesus because of kind of the, the group or culture that was being created. And they took their parents to church. I grew up in a generation where many kids my age are like 18 and 20 at that time, like told their parents, hey, this youth minister lets me work on breakdowns in the youth room. They're cool. Maybe you should come. I like their pastor. So there's a story that really surrounded me in this time where like young adults were saying, mom and dad, I found Jesus. Mom and dad, I came to this really awesome Bible study. You should come. Your life's a wreck. <laughs> Kids do that, don't they, to, to parents and family? Because you got it all solved. <laughs> Whew, God bless you. Beautiful community. But sadly, man, 15, 20 years later, how old am I? We'll say 15, keep me young today. So many of those band members and friends, they found other things. They don't value the name of Christ. They are very anti-Christ. They don't recognize him as the God-man, the perfect Adam, they don't find salvation in him. They find disinterest, church to be a place of judgment and stupidity. And they calm themselves with entertainment, not recognizing we are in the last hour. Children, please abide with your church family and abide in the truth. 
And church family, may we be faithful to one another. Not forsaking fellowship, also not forsaking the title which we bear, sons and daughters of God. Let us be committed to our God and a way of doing that, remain committed to one another. So they are known by their name. They are known of their teaching that denies Christ and they remove themselves from God. Verse 20. John gives us some assurance. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So in John's day, there are these influencers, there are those that are disciplined in rhetoric and persuasive speech, there are philosophers of their day, And they have their intelligence before them. What are they to do? They can't think of of an argument right on the spot. I love that Jeff is gifted in apologetics. My apologetic is very simple and basic. And I'm praying I grow in it. This is my apologetic. You don't believe the Bible. Okay, God's a liar. Next. I don't have that ability to sometimes just create that argument. I am so thankful for your Easter sermons Because that is not me, and our church needs that apologetic of how we think through critically the arguments and criticisms of the faith. They're not given academia, however. They're not given special things that they need to do. He assures them that they have received an anointing from the Holy One. Believers, you have an anointing, and that's where I can sound really charismatic. That's what happened when you received Christ. When you received Christ, he anointed you with his very spirit. So in Leviticus, we've seen where they've done it with blood or with oil or with water. Far better than that, through Christ's ministry, we are now anointed by God's spirit. Without this anointing and this balm, You're blind. Without this anointing, you are dead. You can't see God. You can't feel God. You can't find God. You can't understand God. Without this anointing, you are godless. And there are those that reject this anointing. This anointing opens our eyes to what God has done in us. And they have been anointed in the truth. You have knowledge. So what's this truth? What's this knowledge? You have his word. John is saying you have, in what I'm giving you, apostolic authority. Josh, do you have that that one picture that I sent you? So... I have a picture that I want to show you guys of when I was ordained. Look at that beard. Uh, In that picture is Jeff, Butch, Mark, and Greg. That's a very big day. Uh, That was the Sunday after I had been ordained, and I had these men who had lived with me. You can take that photo down. I don't want to look at myself. (laughs) 
I'll get distracted. Um, those men had known me for about five years. Before them, I went to Bible college and I got a degree saying that I got smart. I, I went to a seminary and I got another piece of paper that said I got smart. And to be honest, when I did the first degree, I felt so stupid, like, like shaking in the knees. I now know how much I don't know. And then I got that second degree, and I felt like, man, I really need to make this up for Amber. It was just a trial. It was good. I did learn things. I don't want to diminish education. But that picture represented something far greater. Men who, who took God's word and helped me apply it to my life. How, how can I faithfully wash my wife in the word, not parse it in the Greek with a lexicon, but how can I be a faithful husband? How can I take care of the flock of God when all I've done is take classes? And they allowed me in several elder meetings, different times of just counseling, meals. They loved on me. They allowed me to apply this rightly. And what they did is they kept repeating to me the truths that all believers receive when they come to Christ. They remind me of the goodness and the truth of the Bible. So they have this knowledge. And John says, in this book, in this truth, there is no lie. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. I love John's language in this book. And I have to say, this is one of the most challenging books in the Bible for me. But his language here, they are a liar. This is an old man who has been confronted once by Jesus with his temper as he wants fire to come down and he grants that he earns the nickname son of fire. He still has that fire within him and he says those that tamper with Christ, they're not misinformed. Those who tamper with the title of Christ, they're not just of a different persuasion, opinion, or flavor. They are liars for they deny who and what he has done. In this church, we are serious about the God-man. We are serious about the anointed one. It's almost as if John is saying here, children, you are anointed by the anointed. Those that are anti-anointed are liars and at war with the anointing the anointed's position and anointing i know that doesn't sound very poetic but with the vocabulary john is writing with i think it mirrors very accurately what he is saying we have the anointed you have received anointing and that those that don't acknowledge his position and status are anti this anointing. 
And you will have competing religions that tell you to be good, that tell you to be nice, to be accepting, but to dethrone our Savior. Verse 21, verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So there are those that are teaching that Jesus really isn't who he said he is, that you can put him away. There are those known as the proto-Gnostics. So this is a, a wave that is beginning in thought and philosophy during John's day that taught Jesus had come only in the flesh and that he was not God. It was just a person there. They also taught that sin should be minimized. It's just of your flesh. Spirit is somewhat different. So you can really live your life any way you want to. Many within this camp escaped persecution because when they were asked, what do you believe? They would just simply lie. What's the consequence? It's just words. You want me to you want me to confess something? Okay, I fully belong to Caesar. I fully belong to Rome. I'm not going to align myself and get myself killed. It's just a lie, and that's just what's happening here on this earth. So because of this belittling of sin and lack of testimony, they also belittle the gospel. Verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in, them, in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. So with all these competing religions, with all these competing spiritual paths and journeys and worldviews and schools of thought, John is encouraging them to remember the basics of the faith. So young adults, there will be words you haven't learned yet that will be thrown at you. There will be examples and ta tactics that are presented before you. Remember the basics. Remember the basics. Christ came and died for sinners. Jesus lived a perfect life. That's not you. He died. When you placed your faith and trust in him, you received forgiveness of all those sins. You are saved by his excellence. It's not your persuasion that will rescue you. You may not have a defense in a moment at a Starbucks with someone. Settle your heart, that's okay. You might not be the smartest one in the room. John encourages them to lean on what they have learned from the beginning. You might not sound so intellectual and smart. You might not be able to win them. But it is the Lord who wins us over he is the author of our salvation. It is the spirit that pierces the heart. He may use your intellect. He may use your gifts. He may use your kindness. 
but it is the Lord that uses it. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So there are some that are wanting to deceive. He tells us to remain. The word abide is mentioned 18 times in this letter. Now your translation might have like 17 or 18. just depends on what English translation you use. Abide, remain in, live inside. It doesn't mean just a quick pit stop to something else. It doesn't mean just be kind of familiar with it. Abide means to live and rest and dwell in what they have heard and the God in who has saved them. Now he tells them of this anointing they received and that they have no need for anyone to teach them. So what does that actually mean? So we don't have to be taught. We've been saved, and now do we just teach ourselves? And there's some people that take this verse and do crazy gymnastics with it. I am now saved, and now God just speaks directly to me. See where you go with that. See where you go with that. If you do not need any teaching or instruction, what Bible are you going to use today? Do you know the original Greek New Testament was written in all caps, no space, and I don't think any punctuation. So if you can teach yourself, grab one of those old codexes and just read along. You don't, you don't need any help. Um, the men are going through in our Walton Community Church Morning thing, we're going through the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, he goes from Hebrew just to Aramaic. So now you have to learn two languages on your own just to open up the book of Daniel or... Grab your ESV study Bible and submit yourself to someone else's intelligence and teaching. John is writing so that they may know. He is educating. At the end of his gospel, John 21, Jesus takes Peter aside and he tells them three different times, feed my sheep. Jesus isn't saying, Mary's really tired of taking care of my cattle. Can you take over? In that context, he is clearly saying, teach the church, teach my children, feed them, nourish them. John is saying, you have no need to specialize in some abstract degree. There's no new knowledge you need to know to become a second-class citizen. I want to give you assurance today to be close to God does not require the dumb hours I put at a desk. To be close to God doesn't require that you have some title. To be close to God means you abide in him. To be close to God means you remind yourself of this truth. There is a place for experts in this life. But when it comes to knowing God, know him. Don't, you don't have to just know about him. Know him. So, if you want to grow in the faith, do like these children did. 
Listen to the authority of of an apostle. Have someone mentor you and guide you. Have brothers and sisters in the faith that pour into you so that you may know God and enjoy him and in that receive assurance. And it's a true assurance for you have seen God instead of your own achievement. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, what an honor it is to know you. What an invitation we have to abide in you and to know that you abide in us. Father, for those wrestling with assurance, remind them they have been anointed by the very Spirit of God. Remind them that they have readily available for them your word, truth, where there is no lie. Father, may we be faithful for those that come in and go out. I ask for protection. May we, Lord, know how to handle wolves and tend to the sheep. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.